Hello and happy holidays. Welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast where we are going to be celebrating Festivus 2021. We have grievances to air and maybe feats of strength to display or at least discuss. We also have a very unlikely bit of news in Joe Johnson, uh, his signing with the Celtics. So we're going to start with that. We are going to be a little cheeky, but then very admittedly and very importantly, we're going to spend a lot of this podcast talking about COVID. So we Right off the top, I just want to acknowledge that there's going to be kind of an emotional pivot halfway through, and we hope you're down for the cause. But if you want to stay with the fun stuff and then log off halfway through and you're sick of listening to people talk about COVID, I wish we could stop talking about COVID. So I understand. I am, of course, joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Gwynn. Happy holidays, guys. Hey, Ken. How are things in Somerville? How are things in Mexico? Well, uh, point point of clarification first. Oh, I do Alston, not live in Alston. Somerville. Do not live in Somerville anymore. That was last year. Um, I live in Brighton now. For those of us who <laughs> listen and are in Brighton and want to hang out, uh, I'm around. Uh, please be vaccinated. Um, but uh, no, things have been good. Actually, I was not in Brighton. I spent uh, today largely driving back from Vermont, where my girlfriend Annabelle and I went for three days to escape all contact with human society and mm-hmm. look at some very pretty snow and hang out in a nice, cute little cabin. It was a really nice, refreshing time, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So that's been my past three days as the start of my winter break, which is for another week or so. We're in Vermont. Bad. East Burke, which is in the middle of nowhere. Sounds like it. Ski country-ish for those of us who are skiers. I just got back from Yucatan and got to hang out with some family there and see some cool ruins, actually go to a beach. Uh, It was surreal. I have not traveled in any kind of real significant, uh, actually leaving the house. I did visit some family in the States very briefly, but it was kind of surreal. And I, I'm kind of getting the, the vibe that it's going to be the last time I do that for a while again, too. But we could talk about that later. Did you see any cool animals in the Yucatan? Uh, mostly tourists. <laughs> That's about it. Fantastic. Always a fun animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most frightening, much more scary than a jaguar. <laughs> I have a whole host of Jaguar facts I wish that we could talk about instead of COVID. All right, uh, and I'm doing well, and I am in Somerville, so there's that for clarity. Okay, we are going to do a little bit of news. We're going to do some Festivus, and then, like we said at the top, we're going to talk about COVID. So let's start with that news. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know by now. In fact, maybe you watched him play a basketball game. Joe Johnson, 20 years later, is back with the Boston Celtics. Alex, I'm going to go for you for an emotional read and Justin, I'll go to you for the uh, tactical read. And then if anyone wants to switch that role, go for it. I guess my emotions on the Joe Johnson signing are more surprised than anything. I was very surprised to see that Joe Johnson is still considered an active NBA player as he is 40 years old. And the last time he played for the Celtics, I believe I was, God, I... JQ, help me out with that. What was what year was the last was fall of 2002? 2002. Yeah. 2002. Oh man. So I would have been like, what? Jeez. Man, fourth it's grade, hard. third or fourth grade. Alex. Yeah, I would have been like an eight or nine. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. Um, no, I mean, sure, why not? You know, the NBA is currently getting ravaged by 
COVID, uh, the Celtics have a number of players that are out in protocols and they haven't been a tremendous amount of fun to watch with that all happening. So why not bring in ISO Joe to, you know, come in and take a few shots here and there, do some fancy dribble moves, see if he's still got it. I don't think he's going to be a particularly meaningful or impactful signing as far as the Celtics playoff or championship odds are concerned. The last time we saw Joe Johnson in the NBA, I believe he was on the Houston Rockets and he was not doing a whole lot, but he had a great run in the big three leagues. So who knows? I guess, yeah, I guess my emotional reaction for Joe Johnson is why not? Sure. Yeah, to speak to uh, the the more technical side of things that you were hinting at, uh, he was shooting 27% from three and scoring six points per game. I think it was like 15 minutes a game, roughly. But he was playing with the Rockets, and that was when he had been in the league, and he has not been in the league. We just got done with his presser. Uh, He said he's been doing lots of yoga, which is, you know, really, really helpful for players of his age when they want to stay in the league. But I was initially worried that, and this could still happen, uh, that he might be taking some minutes away from some of the younger guys who really do need some run. And that's one of my bigger concerns. But I mean, honestly, unless something miraculous happens, uh, I don't really think that that's going to be the issue. And I'm really hoping that, you know, we were talking before the show about how he might be used on this team. And if he is kind of more the veteran presence which he actually alluded to, to uh working with the jays and the team in general to share some of his knowledge of the game and i think it's a really good signing but if he actually takes the the floor particularly in crucial segments of the game then um i don't know about this at all yeah it's it's an interesting proposition because maybe if the covid stuff wasn't happening they would make this move anyways uh just to bring in kind of a veteran voice a stabilizing voice and for all the reasons you mentioned to say nothing of his friendship with Al Horford, that's kind of interesting. But at least I've said a number of times, I think the Celtics have too many cooks in the kitchen. So if Joe Johnson anticipates playing at all, that kind of compounds the issue. It doesn't minimize it in any way. Although admittedly as a fan, it's super fun. The one thing I'll say is that if Boston radio jockeys are mad about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown taking too many <laughs> ISO possessions, wait till they get a load of the Joe Johnson experience. You know, it, Cam, it is, it is fun. Joe Johnson was honestly one of my favorite non-Celtic players to watch for a really long time. I know he was technically on the Celtics, but he really was not. He wasn't Joe Johnson when he was on the Celtics. And, you know, him coming into his own as a Hawk and then kind of later as a Brooklyn Net, he was just such a fun player to watch, even if there's uh, maybe some argument that he was a little empty calories. He, He was a really enjoyable player. And so if he gets on the court, it probably means that uh, things are not going all that well in the game anyway. So I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to be ageist, but <laughs> what the hell? Okay. So, yeah. I was going to say, there's only been five players in the history of the entire NBA who have been active players older than him. So uh, you're not being ageist. You're being a realist. Thank you. Fair, fair. So I can't imagine adding Joe Johnson is going to be the only man. Isaiah Thomas must really hate the Celtics now I can't imagine Joe Johnson is the only roster change we're going to see whether it's this week next week or beyond unfortunately it seems like the Celtics will need another hardship signing or two here and there that's just going to be the nature of the beast we'll get to that but also now that it's past December 15th a lot more of the league is trade eligible eligible 
probable. <laughs> so uh, specifically, that might mean the beginning of the end for Josh Richardson, Ennis Freedom, or Dennis Schroeder. Although, really, who knows what Brad has up his sleeve. Now that we're on the other side of this December 15th threshold, do either of you have a move or a type of move that you want to shout out that you're eagerly awaiting seeing? Please, God, just trade Ennis Freedom for literally a, a, a living human. I'm begging Brad, the gods, anybody. Like, I will take Reggie Evans at this point. I'm so over it. I'm so over it, guys. I mean, I know that he was our only available big, aside from Bruno Fernando, against Joel Embiid, and that we probably shouldn't have been planning on winning that game, given the circumstances that we were in. But I legitimately would rather play Bruno Fernando those minutes. Get this man off of my team at all costs. Nothing too intense for me. I just want to see them do something that has... The Jays very clearly in mind. I think that we have mostly unmucked the roster in terms of long-term commitments. And now they need to start making some moves that really do complement the Jays, whether it's more shooting or maybe an improvement at point guard. Whatever it is, uh, they, they should start the ball rolling. It doesn't all need to happen now in this season, but it does need to start happening. Yeah, well, we, we won't dwell on this too long because this is we're going to have a couple of podcast episodes about this between now and February, I assume. It's an interesting line uh, to toe, though, for the Celtics, because I think they should be active. And recently, anyways, they have been pretty leak-proof. But it's also been a team that chemistry has been kind of fleeting and fragile. And so if the Celtics are in the mix a lot, and there are a lot of trade rumors that, even if they're productive trade rumors, or trade conversations that turn into rumors, that could undermine some things. So I'm curious what is to come. And Alex, I'll use your point as a segue to talk about recent games because, yeah, Ennis Freedom stuffed the stat sheet a little bit and Bruno Fernando would foul out if he was a starting center in the NBA pretty quickly. But boy, oh boy, did Joel Embiid eat the Celtics lunch down the stretch. So just to recap, since we last talked, they the Celtics did lost to the Dubs, which was a fun game. I, I only watched bits and pieces of it. Uh, Moral victory, squandered opportunity, just lost to a better team. Any thoughts there? Um, the Warriors are just a better team than the Boston Celtics, and I honestly feel okay. I mean, I would have loved to win that game, so I'm not going to go and say it's a moral victory, particularly given that the Celtics had a really good shot to win it late, uh, and a couple of things just kind of didn't go their way. That being said, you know, the Warriors are potentially going to be holding Valerie O'Brien at the end of the season with the way things are going for them. So um, what do it, does it feel like a moral victory? No. Am I going to get upset about it? Not particularly. They're just really freaking good. Yeah. I don't have too much to add to that other than overall, there's too many of these kinds of games happening, but if we are going to see them, you know, kind of fall apart at the end of a game, then the Warriors, sure. The 76ers right now, not so much. So before we get to the 76ers, let's just shout out Josh Richardson beating the Knicks, bing bong, and that's that. That meme can die. I can't believe other stadiums are using that. It's unbelievable well, to me. Well, bing bong has become a TikTok meme all its own now. It's completely left the NBA sphere. It's just an entirely different thing. No one consulted with me, and I'm angry about this. I'll add this to my grievances. Anyways, the, the Philly game, we should talk about just a minute with – in the fourth quarter, so the Celtics were down after the first and then really hustled their butts to some convincing second and third quarter performances, which has been a consistent trend for the Celtics team. And then in the fourth, 
absolutely fell apart. They led the game 97-94 with a few minutes left, and then Philly went on like a 15-1 to run or something like that, something nuts. It was just, yes, Boston didn't have a player that could guard Joel Embiid, but they also didn't have a player that seemed like they could run the offense or stick their man. So that was a really troubling loss. I don't really know if there's a takeaway other than desperately they need a different big to play other than a a big. Yeah. But it's a little bit. Yeah. The Jays blew that game. Jalen Brown actually kind of sucked in the fourth. I'm going to be honest. And that, that was disappointing. It's weird though. Cause it's, it's just so hard to make judgments about this team when Al Horford and Rob Williams, who are the linchpin of the defense for, you know, all of this year, basically along with market smart are both out, uh, you know, in COVID protocols. And I mean, I know that we were going to try and save this later, but it's, it's so hard to get a clear takeaway about like who the Celtics are and what they're capable of doing when, and it's been the same way really for like a year now, critical players are missing at these junctions you know Robert Williams and Al Horford dominated Joel Embiid the last time that they played I mean straight up they really thoroughly ran rings around him Embiid couldn't do anything with Horford and then Mm -hmm. you know last the, the other night no Horford no Rob Williams Embiid carries the Sixers in the fourth quarter and they end up winning that game so it's I don't know I mean, it's frustrating because both the Warriors games and the Sixers game, that's winnable stuff there. But I, I just, I can't put too much stock in it without critical players like Rob and Al being missing for this entire stretch, basically. I mean, I'll push back actually, because yes, I don't know that you can take, all, take this game and predict a seven game series. To your point, just not all the players were there. But Philly was also decimated uh, and is without a glaring hole in their roster. And really and truly, and not to sound like a Boston radio shock jockey, Jalen was asleep at the wheel during the fourth. There would be stretches where, I mean, that that video of him getting beat backdoor was pretty obvious, but then he goes and planks an ugly three, and he's missing assignments. And then Tatum, who had been the man and pushing the pace and making nice passes, kind of wilted a little bit in the fourth. And yeah, if without your guy in the middle, either Horford or Williams, or unfortunately sometimes both, everything falls apart. But there was a little bit of, hey, this is when the game matters. Why aren't you paying attention from the Jays that it's a long season and an ugly season. And right now, any NBA player would be excused to be a little distracted. But it is one of those things where for two and a half, three seasons, at least people on this podcast have been making excuses for the Jays. And it's it's getting old a little bit. Um, so your point notwithstanding, Alex, I mean, I think you're right. There were moments during that game where I was frustrated um and a little frustrated at now i'm just riffing at udoka uh, i would have used a timeout or two to interject i would have i don't know whatever he's doing in between games seems to work because he's getting some production out of them but the fourth quarters we'll get to this a little bit in the festivus section the fourth quarters they are so bad a little more shooting on the floor might be nice. Uh, we saw some hints of that in this game. This is probably its own topic in its own podcast, but Ime Zadoka's coaching strategies in terms of rotations and other things as well. Uh, I think we are getting to the point where the honeymoon period is over and it's fair to start wondering where are we going? Mm-hmm. All right. That's a, that's a good um, shelving because I do think that this is, oh, Alex, yeah. 
Yeah, I just have one more thing before we kind of move on into this festivist section that uh, I think is worth talking about. So we've obviously talked about uh, the Warriors, the Knicks, and Philly in this kind of past stretch, and some of the good, some of the bad there. But uh, we've got some really big breaking news about the Celtics game in about half an hour that they're going to be playing against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it concerns uh, Celtics both past and present. Of course, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers will be starting at center for the first time in his career. None other than former Celtic Taco Fall yeah. making his way into the starting lineup tonight in a possible revenge game against his former team. So the Celtics' big issues uh, may have just gotten a whole lot bigger. Yeah, he uh, and Ennis have a a bet. Every time Taco blocks Ennis, Ennis will donate $1,000, which is like, a little gimmicky, but cool. I can dig it. Um, and, you know, shout out to Taco. He seems like an outstanding young man. Not that I really have any basis for that. All right. Anyways, let us, again, COVID's going to keep coming up because it's, you know, it's there. Uh, it's omnipresent, not Omicron. And uh, so we will talk about the state of the NBA more broadly, and we will talk about what we're seeing out of it but just quickly from a um celtics perspective first of all the main celtics are getting positions left and right if there's a silver lining here is that g league players and um players kind of on the margins of the nba community are having opportunities to go catch covid uh and show what they can do in the meantime so that's cool and i mean shout out to tremont waters and uh Luke Cornett and all of these homies. I mean, good for us. Good for ISO Joe, I guess. Uh, and I think that story is going to continue for at least a few more weeks, if not the rest of the season. Without tipping our COVID hand, any thoughts on the silver lining aspect of this? Yeah, <laughs> that's so hard. I guess... Um... The, the only silver lining I can think of aside from uh, the kind of G League guys getting runs is that um, I found it much easier to uh, kind of not get too invested in whether the Celtics win or lose a lot of these games, uh, which I guess is good for my emotional health on some level because of basically exactly what we just talked about. It's so hard to take wins and losses seriously when on both teams, players are just out of the lineup left and right right now. Yeah, uh, Ryan Bernardoni had some kind of a tweet referencing the whole uh, thesis ship uh, parable, if you are aware of that <laughs> one. Basically saying, like, if, if the Celtics uh, lose a game with all these replacement players, is it still thesis is Celtics? It's a good question. I mean, and again, I, this is yet another conversation for another day, but it's an interesting premise of kind of hearkening back to rest, resting your stars where if, yes, the jersey says Celtics or the jersey says Lakers, but if all the players on the billboards and the advertisements aren't playing, is it the same product? I mean, I don't know. So we'll get to that. So let's have some fun. Let's pretend like the world isn't on fire and and uh, let's talk about basketball as if we're not morally complicit in something ugly. And let's talk about Festivus because it's the holiday season and we're curmudgeons, I think. That's probably our podcast niche anyways. So Festivus, of course, is the time where we air our grievances. Uh, I don't think feats of strength work on a podcast. 
Um, Alex and Justin can see how ripped I am. You all might not be able to see that. So we asked first our Celtics Lab Twitter community. Uh, let's pause and just plug all the things we have to plug. Alex plays in a band called Divine Sweater. Check that out. We have a Twitter page called at Celtics Lab. Dr. Justin Quinn writes for the Celtics Wire. And anyone else got anything else to plug? Hang out with Alex and Brighton, I guess. Anyways, yeah. we have some... We have some airing of grievances from our friends on Twitter that we said we would read. So I'll just read from the community and then we have our own. Um, if, if you didn't get enough airtime, start your own podcast. How's that? So uh, Baby Bungus says, shouldn't Michael Red's iconic number 22 be retired in my Milwaukee? No respect for the red hot red. Uh, a few people I don't think understood the assignment, but that's okay. Thanks, Baby Bungus. Uh, is Iso Joe about to take Jalen Jason Tatum's crunch time touches? But I don't think that person understood the assignment, but thank you for your comment. Does the yeah, front office... Uh, <laughs> sorry about that comment. Uh, if you want to listen to more misunderstood comments, uh, you can check out the OTG podcast network. And uh, specifically, it's always something in Philadelphia if you want to hear unhinged comments about the Sixers. <laughs> and if you want unhinged comments about the Nets, you can check out our friend Jack, who says, does the front office or previous front office have to share a large portion of the blame given the way the team has been constructed around Tatum and Brown? That's a pretty good one. We didn't promise that we were going to talk about it, but that's a pretty good point. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to that. Lockjaw Overbite says decrease in PP minutes when Marcus is a viable two guard. Uh, PG should be split between only Dennis and Peyton. Uh, I said Andrew Wiggins is good now. What the heck? Uh, uh, Chip Douglas said who would win in feats of strength, Grant or Ime? That's a tough one. Ime is big. He's built like a house. I'm gonna say Grant because he's, yeah. he's got the age. But I think I think you gotta go Grant here, just given the kind of rock solid nature of his body. And uh, we have one more airing grieve, aired grievance. Nikolai Daddy Daycare says, "I'm still mad about the Celtics trading away Troy Bell and Dante Jones after drafting them in 2003." Dante Jones, oh my God, wow, that's a deep pull. <laughs> I'm proud of that's. Friend of the podcast, uh, Whitey. Anyways, let's. We're we're the biggest friends of the podcast. I think that we know. So let's air our grievances. And again, we're we're going to eventually talk about COVID, and it might come up right now. But these are just more silly or X's and O's. Our biggest gripes, of course, are with Adam Silver. Anyways, Alex, what is yeah. your Celtics grievance that you would like to air? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, our friend Jack from Brooklyn Buzz, uh, who and his comment about the front office and the previous front office uh, and how much blame they should be assigned for the kind of current struggles of the team. And, you know, I think I have to say, if there is one grievance I have with the Celtics, I think it does come back to roster building. Um, I think there's a lot of players on this team that serve individual roles quite well, but don't necessarily emphasize uh, the best aspects of Jalen and Jason's game, which is ultimately what is going to determine whether the Celtics, as we know them, are legitimate championship contenders or not. Um, so I guess if I have any grievances, it would be the, the first is grievances that I have long expressed on this podcast, which is that uh, we needed to turn some of uh, the kind of past three or four drafts uh, after Jason Tatum into something a little bit more tangibly good than, uh, you know, 
the Celtics roster currently has. Obviously, Rob Williams has been a hit. I think Grant Williams is coming along nicely. And Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard have both recently showed flashes. So I want to give them credit where credit is due. But at a certain point, rubber's got to meet the road. Danny Ainge had a lot of cracks at the apple with these picks. And it's hard to argue that there aren't better players out there that he could have taken with those picks or trades that he could have made that would have improved this roster. Uh, and I think Brad Stevens at, you know, Jerry's still out. It's his first year on the job, but I think some of the players that were acquired during free agency were fine at the time. Uh, again, I think the Horford trade works and I'm not as big a Dennis hater as maybe some others are, but I do think that there's some roster issues that are ultimately holding this team back from reaching its fullest potential. Uh, and I guess if I have any grievances to air, it would be that I think it's time, Brad, to start looking at doing some big, some bigger tinkering. I think Jalen and Jason are untouchable. Outside of that, I, th I think it's time to start maybe looking at some other options. We'll see. All right, uh, Justin, you want to do your Celtics grievance? You want me to go? I'll do my Celtics grievance. Sorry about that. I was uh, muting myself like a <laughs> master podcaster that I am. Uh, it's actually probably a good counterposition to this too, because it's riffing off the same idea. I, I hinted at this earlier about my concerns about signing uh, Joe Johnson. It almost feels like to me, one of the biggest problems that this, this whole roster building issue has been around was initially trying to kind of like ride two timelines at once which in other fields, uh, you know, the military, careers, et cetera, it doesn't work. You know, you can't really ride two line, timelines at once. You have to commit to one or the other. And if you don't, then one side or the other bolts because it knows it's not entirely the priority. And we saw that play out. And although it's not as bad and there may be a plan in place for the veterans on this team now, I, I still am not comfortable with this concept of leaning into these veterans so hard and potentially even in the midst of this absurd hellscape that we are currently in and the realities it's creating to continue play that we may have actually just, I'm really hoping I'm wrong about this, but I am still worried, have found another way to not play the young players. You know, I mean, again, if he's sitting on the bench, Joe Johnson, that's going to be great. If he's playing in garbage time, that's totally fine. But if he's playing at the end of a close game, if he's playing large chunks in the middle of the game, what are we doing? Yeah, unless they know something about Joe Johnson's conditioning that we don't, it just, that that's a move that you make in April. That's not, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting move again because of COVID hardships and we will get to that. But I am in large agreement. It doesn't yeah. make a lick of sense. For what it's worth, though, you know, I just saw a tweet from Woj saying that uh, Joe Johnson is expected to play tonight in Cleveland. Oh, definitely. So we'll see. All right. My grievance with the Celtics has to do with their fourth quarters, which I teased a little bit before. They are 29th in assist-to-turnover ratio in the fourth quarter. The offense just freezes, and that – your turn, my turn bullshit that they do. Sorry, intern who has to do the bleep button. It, it, it couldn't be more on display. And Tatum isn't good enough at that. Brown is not good enough at that. The, when the offense is humming and then they have possessions where they can cook, they're very good at it. But when it's the expectation that that's what they're defaulting to, 
it's miserable basketball to watch. Not only that, the Celtics go from 12th overall in defensive rating to 25th overall in defensive rating in the fourth quarter. And coincidentally, 12th overall in net rating to 25th overall in net rating in the fourth quarter. And they have the 23rd worst effective field goal rate. So they're not playing defense in the fourth. They're not shooting the ball particularly well, and they're not passing the ball. They're, uh, I think, 28th in assists just overall. It's, I, I want to give the players, I want to give the coach a long leash because this is a new group that was decimated by COVID last year. Let's not forget that this was the team that got bundled by COVID. So they are rebuilding in a way that other teams aren't. However, we're nearly 30 games into the season, and the progress that I have seen in the fourth quarter is very underwhelming. So certainly bringing in more players to try to fix this doesn't make sense to me, but I don't know if it's on the Jays. I don't know if it's on the role players. I don't know if it's on the coach or the rotation or the timeouts, but part of my French, the fourth quarter is ass and it's not fun. Cam, I'm not sure if it's about bringing in more players so much as it is bringing about the right players, bringing in the sure. right players. Um, you know, I feel like, the, there is something to the idea that the Celtics kind of lack a true pressure point from the guard position, particularly the point guard, uh, that yeah. can really space the floor and attack the rim and initiate offense rapidly. You know, my big criticism of Dennis this year has been the slow walk up just murders me. I hate that Dennis is not doing the thing that he's arguably best at, which is getting the ball really quickly and then just bolting into an action and starting up plays earlier. You know, I think Marcus is coming along at this and I don't think that there's a player that they should trade Marcus for that would help solve this issue. But I do kind of wonder if at some point the Celtics need a true like penetrator at the point guard position who can get that initial action going so that Tatum and Brown end up with favorable isolation matchups and mismatches rather than late clock situations where they're forced to isolate on a player that's capable of sticking with them. Because I don't, you know, I don't want to come in and say that all iso ball is bad. I think that that's wrong. I think that isolation ball is good. Uh, in the right circumstances, particularly when you have a glaring mismatch. And I guess my hope for the Celtics offense, uh, and I, I think this is, again, more of a roster issue than a coaching or a player issue than anything, is that at a certain point, the Celtics will acquire enough players or find the right lineup to put players on the floor such that when the possession ends in an isolation shot attempt from Tatum or Brown, they're doing so with a clear mismatch rather than having to settle for a contested jumper over people like Danny Green. Because like, obviously, Jason Tatum is better than Danny Green, but Danny Green is still a stout defender who is going to contest his shot. I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I don't want to stray away entirely from ISO ball because I, I do think that Tatum and Brown have pretty unique isolation talent that should be used, but it's about getting the right mismatches. And uh, I'll, I'm going to be interested to see if that's something they can sort out. It seems to me with that, that love of ISO ball, that it's important to remember it is very good playoff basketball, but they have to get through the regular season. And that is where they're having trouble when you're not game planning and getting those mismatches on a night to night basis. It's kind of a problem because they're just going into them with no real plan. And without that, it's just going to be a disaster. 
Yeah. And if they're not supplementing that, at least with the same level of defensive intensity, I mean, it's one thing if you're slowing the pace down and trusting your guys to make the play, but as I said before, the defense is in the toilet too. So it's not, it's just across the board, whatever the fourth quarter pump up speeches or whatever tradition they have, the deck needs to be shuffled. All right. Let's air some grievances. Festivus for the rest of us. Let's talk about the NBA. Alex, what is your NBA grievance? Yeah, um, I have a few NBA grievances. I think the big one, though, is the spirit and, of the holiday. Very in, good. in the spirit of the holiday, you know, I think the big one is just that Adam Silver has completely folded on COVID in a way that he really, I guess, they tried to do last. They tried to do a better job of last year, particularly at kind of the more. I don't, I don't even know that we can say that anymore because I, I we don't have enough data to say whether this is ultimately the period we're entering now is going to be the the worst part of the pandemic or not we don't know um but you know i i think and this is i think a, an issue that i have kind of with broader american society more so than adam silver per se but i don't think adam silver is helping or contributing to this or contributing positively to this they've just totally punted on this we're just gonna power through and the way that they're using i think the g league and the kind of reserves and you know all of these 10-day call-ups I, I think it's it's actually really gross and cynical it almost mm-hmm. strikes me as people like iso joe are being used as cannon fodder for what is increasingly apparent to be a really flawed and stupid idea to keep on powering through these games rather than just shutting down and letting the players like go home and spend holidays with their families and not be sick for a little bit so uh, my, my, my festivist grievance is with you, Adam Silver. I think you and the owners are really fucking this up. I think you're going to have some long-term consequences to deal with. Uh, and I think that, you know, for all of the positive momentum that you established in your early days as commissioner, you strike me right now as being as bad as Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, any one of the kind of big sports commissioners. This guy is just as bad and deserves none of the kind of fawning plaudits that he gets from, you know, the media positioning him as somehow a kind of woker or better sports commissioner. He's just as shitty a guy as the rest of them. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. Yeah, I'd like to jump in on that as well. We weren't going to do the COVID stuff right away, but that's fine because it's kind of unavoidable, right? Like the whole time we've been talking, in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about how I'm going to be dealing, you know? I Like mm-hmm. there are so many people who have backgrounds similar to mine, backgrounds that for a while, as some of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while are aware, made it very difficult for me to to engage people in a constructive manner, even with public health training that allows me to understand when my behavior is emotional and angry and non-productive. I am just as guilty as anyone. I have damaged my professional relationships with some people because of that. 
And while I feel justified in doing so, I also recognize that it doesn't necessarily help the situation at all. But when we get to the point where the institutions themselves, which are really where our focus should be in terms of public health and efficacy, when, when the institutions themselves are threatening to or suggesting they may throw caution completely to the wind, uh, there was a quote uh, in an article by the athletics Mike Vorkanov, pardon me, I got your, your name not quite right, uh, about whether or not the, the league would move forward with playing asymptomatic but positive COVID players. Uh, there was a public health expert who was cited in that who said that would be a break from science and public health guidance. That would be a serious change, which is the understatement of a lifetime. And I say that because, you know, you have, you know, Carl Anthony Towns as an example of someone who has very real effects that may have been wreaked upon their family by their connection to the NBA. We don't know where they got it from. We shouldn't point fingers, but it is a very real possibility that his involvement in the sport that he loves and makes a living with is directly responsible for the deaths of five people in his family. In my own life, I have lost a step-parent my father had a stroke, which he did not want to go to the hospital to get treated, which may have contributed mm -hmm. to him his dying last year. And now my mother has severe COVID lung damage. She did not leave the house because of an autoimmune disorder, was fully vaccinated and still got it and now has a terminal uh, diagnosis. And now I have months to years left with someone who's in her early 60s. So this is the human toll that will silently be making its way around the league if they move forward with this kind of strategy. And that's something that we need to keep in mind. But I think, Alex, you, you, well, Justin, thank you for sharing, of course, because um, that's, that's much more interesting than fourth quarter <laughs> defensive assignments. Um, Alex, you teased something that's, you giving the game away, which is it's American society that have, has given up. Uh, save, some days where I just don't think numbers have come through. We've been losing 1,200 Americans to COVID every day since August. So this, the idea that we're, oh, we're entering a new wave, it, this wave has not stopped. And I, I actually, I am frustrated with Adam Silver insofar as his communication is poor, but this is a deal that he's doing his job as intended. He is a he's doing the bidding of the owners and this is what the owners want because they don't want to take a loss here. And the only person or the only entity that also doesn't want to take a loss that bad is the NBA PA because they are in lockstep with this. Players do not want to miss paychecks. So Adam Silver might be the face of the franchise and he owes it to us to communicate better, but everyone is in on this. We have not heard a, a scantly, a whimper out of anyone of any consequence saying, let's pause. And if you look at the NHL, they had to pause because A, they don't have a Christmas showcase. The NBA has an inferiority complex with the NFL and they weren't going to give up the NBA, even though pff, there's going to be NFL games, their rankings are going to be in the toilet because there's going to be NFL games. So just give up Christmas anyways. And second, yeah, it's great. Oh, the G League players, the showcase, ISO Joe, back, ISO Joe is back. That's so fun. No, you have another labor pool to exploit and possibly give a horrible disease to the only reason the nhl isn't doing that is because they can't so they had to shut down the bruins had to shut down and they don't have a christmas showcase so yes i am in agreement that adam silver wears the big boy pants it's his job how about host a real press conference not a 
dolled up ESPN oh press conference. Cause yeah. you know what? ESPN's on this too. No one wants yep. to stop, not just in the NBA, not just in sports, but in American society, because we have at a certain level given up on being empathetic about this. Now, certainly the people on this call, hopefully many of our listeners, a silent majority to bastardize a phrase probably has not given up on being empathetic about this. But it looks as if major institutions, major people, major voices, and you know what, while I'm riffing, the president included has just given up and abdicated a bit of responsibility. Also, fuck you, Charlie Baker. Um, (laughs) I have more grievances. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. I mean, we should redirect this because we can uh, we can air our COVID grievances all day long. I mean, we've lost, you know, two years of our lives to this and countless loved ones. And well, let's do our silly basketball ones and then we can go back into COVID with a little more measure. Um, Fair enough. Justin, Um, do you have a? Yeah. Justin, do you have an (laughs) NBA one? I've got two. So in terms of the NBA itself, one of the things that it's not really it's almost it's not really a grievance because they're doing the thing that I want. I just didn't know I wanted it or that it was possible. And that is the schedule. Most of the games, pardon my cat. She's uh, very enthusiastic about this topic <laughs> as well. Uh, and for good reason, because most of the games now are between 6.30 and 8.30 in the evening. And that's the perfect time for this. I mean, we get to watch the games and not be up super late. We have enough time to get to the arenas if we're actually going in person or at least to get home in front of the television. Ramona, my cat, she's she just cannot... It's a feat of strength. It's a feat of it vocal is. strength from your cat. <laughs> so that's my main one. Uh, besides that, uh, another particularly important one to me uh, has been the access that Zoom has provided, but also taken away. So I want to see this Zoom trend to increase access for people around the world to be in NBA arenas virtually, so to speak, even when, God forbid, when COVID is gone. Uh, But I also want to see the return of in-person access, which I have some strong suspicions. We're gonna see a lot less in-person uh, access for, for teams. Now, for me, being in Mexico City, that is not as important, but quite a few people who cover the team and teams around the NBA might be looking at reduced access on a permanent basis, and I really don't want to see that. It's an interesting... So I used to cover the game here and there in person way back when, and it's an interesting proposition because the, the Players Association was talking about reducing that access, and I had no real business being... Like, there were definitely people who either didn't need it to do their job well or uh, the access that they were granted was a, a little much. So I do think that the players and the media should have some sort of relationship. And I think that some sort of access should come back. And it's reasonably back, at least for people who are dedicated to covering the team on the beat. Um, so I'm, I'm largely in agreement, A, that it should come back, but also B, that it won't in the same way. But I'm not sure that that's horrible or at least from the player's perspective, I can understand it. Although I have some fun anecdotes from those days, which are, I have a soft spot in my heart for DeAndre Jordan because we talked about Ninja Turtles for like 20 minutes and that's probably not coming back. Anyways, uh, I have two grievances that are not as important as COVID, but as a fan mean something to me and make me agitated. And I'll also sound like I'm 75 years old. First of all, I don't know who is in charge of picking the courts and the jerseys on a given night, 
but get it together. It's so ugly consistently. I understand that the product is an, it's an entertainment product, but like, goodness gracious, the jerseys in and of themselves are ugly. The courts are mostly ugly and then put it all together. It's just horrible. It, it's impressively bad. Sometimes I'm not a purist who says like, Oh, the home team has to wear white. No, that's fine. But geez, it shouldn't be green versus dark green on a cream colored court. It's just so bizarre. And look, maybe the boffins at Nike have the color rush data and they know that people like this and it plays well on sports center top 10 or whatever it is. But for my money, it is abysmally ugly. And I'm so ready for this era of mismatched colors and courts to straighten itself out. I would really like to see the data on who is actually buying, like what teams are actually have fans that are buying the color rush jerseys. Because the thing is, I feel like maybe this is just me speaking from a Celtics fan perspective where the Celtics have these old school classic jerseys that everybody just loves. But like, you know, when I'm walking around Boston and like seeing people out in Celtics gear, nobody is wearing the color rush Celtics jerseys. They're all wearing the classics. They're wearing the green and white or they're wearing the white and green. Uh, And, you know, I feel like with a few notable exceptions uh, that have kind of done well, like Miami is one, Denver has a couple that that look pretty good. I don't see a lot of fans, even of of other NBA teams, rocking the color rush jerseys because they're usually rocking the kind of standard or the classic jerseys and i guess i just wonder like who is buying this stuff people who have bad taste or poor vision uh i have another grievance can i go yeah okay i will i will run for high office to end this it is so offensive to me that they play music during gameplay it's not yeah. It's not the Drew League. It's not uh, a pickup game at the park. It's a serious entertainment product with millions of dollars on the line. And going from, you know, the garden where they lower the lights and they light up the court and they let the fans yell and scream and rah, 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 to well, just across the way to Brooklyn where they have an in-house DJ playing like 12 second samples. Well, the best basketball players in the world. It's just Take the product seriously. It's so embarrassing. Again, as best I can tell, the NBA has such an inferiority complex when it comes to the NFL. And the NFL would never because they pride themselves on being so important. It's almost hilarious how sanctimonious the NFL is about itself. And I'm not saying that that is this standard bearer. And of course, like the MLB needs to lighten up. But Jesus, the NBA looks like a trashy product sometimes because Look, if you're the Wizards and no one's there, you have to come up with the fact that it's just like echoing and horribly quiet. But man, it's so bizarre and stupid to me. I don't know, to Alex, to your point, who wants that? Who was sitting five years ago watching basketball and being like, man, you know, this is is good, but you know what would make that LeBron dunk better? If I heard 12 seconds of uh, a Jay-Z sample, that would be fun. Oh, wait, now it's over. They're playing the defense chant. Okay, now it's Tribe Called Quest. Like, it's just... I mean, this, yeah. it's, it's maddening. To answer your question, though, Cam, you know, I do think that the people who ultimately want it are who the NBA is really targeting, which is young children. Um, I think that, and, and I don't think that's the case for all of them. I see your hand there, JQ. Um, but I do think that some of them, particularly the 2K generation, 
kind of appreciate those little like music clips and things like that. In general, though, I agree. No, I would actually really love to hear things like Draymond Green calling out defensive assignments, yeah. but I'm a huge nerd, uh, you know. I, I just, I feel like it, it's too much and it, it feels very overstimulating at times. So I know I'm old, but are we old? I mean, yeah. because one of the things that I'm- <laughs> Listen going to this to conversation, about, of course we are. <laughs> yeah, no, really. But so you, you rekindled a constant, constant complaint that I have about the Boston Celtics. It's very related, which is, can we please play some modern music in the arena? <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne came out when I was like 18 years old and I'm 45. Some There's a them. reason they call it arena rock though, Justin. <laughs> well, it's so funny you say that because they'll do that. And then the other day at like that um, really momentous uh, challenge play, they played like salsa music which I'm for. And actually, I think the, the Boston Garden does a better job than most of in-house entertainment. It's really just the gameplay that grinds my gears. I, I can take it or leave it. I mean, Justin, to your point, like the people who are buying the most expensive tickets probably like uh, yeah, good point. <laughs> that kind of music more than they want to hear the modern stuff. But there's certainly a, a mix. I mean, the, the Red Sox open games to Tiesto this year, so people are willing to take risks. I don't know. I just, I will literally never get over this. It boils my blood as much as COVID apparently. Yeah. Uh, and well, on that, yeah. So, so Cam, this, I think this actually leads pretty naturally into, you know, we, we were also talking about, obviously you've got uh, Celtics grievances, you got NBA grievances, but I think we all agree that in the spirit of Festivus, uh, it's probably fair to air, air some more general grievances uh, as well, just around kind of everything that's happening. And uh, just in life or COVID? <laughs> just in life. And one grievance, and I'm going full Grinch mode here. Some of you might know what's coming if you know me well. Is that I think Joe Manchin listens to the podcast. <laughs> I don't think Joe Manchin listens to the podcast. And my grievance is actually he not about to anybody. Him. Uh, if you want <laughs> if you wanted my Joe Manchin grievance podcast, that would be an entire hour and a half long episode. Um, no, my grievance is much more small potatoes, but uh, I'm going to say it anyway. And to the listeners that uh, are offended by this, I really don't care. Uh, so sorry. Um, but folks, we need to have a serious conversation about, and, and it is music related. That's why it's a good segue. Mm -hmm. We need to have a serious conversation about Christmas music. We really do. Christmas music is bad. It's it's universally bad. In fact, uh, all of the Christmas music songs are bad. Uh, they're super twee and annoying. They're terrible. Uh, they're played in public spaces all the time. And I don't want to hear them. And I know that you don't want to hear them either. But for some reason, we willingly subject ourselves to awful music in public spaces every single year. And here's the thing. Literally none of them are good. Like you can, to, if you listen and you disagree, you can send me your Christmas song that you think is good. I swear it's bad. Literally none of them are good. Can we please stop? If we want to carol on the actual Eve, that's fine. Caroling works for me. I get that that's part of the tradition, but I swear to fucking God, guys, if I go to get a burrito and I hear another terrible Christmas song playing as I'm doing it, I'm going to lose my mind. In October, stop. I love Christmas music. It's holly. Like it's jolly. Leaves. 
Green sleeves is cool. It has no words, so I don't get, you know, in my head. I like it. Yeah, the Christmas in Sarajevo is sick too. There is one good Christmas song, and it is um, "Christmas Time Is Here" by the Vince Guaraldi Trio for the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack. That's literally it. It's the only one. Shut it down after that. Okay. No way. It's so fun. It's kitschy and horrible. It harkens back to a time where only white people were allowed to sing. Why wouldn't you want to harken back oh, to that, right, no. Alex? <laughs> Jesus. Well, no, it's true. I think. Uh, only four songs in the 2021 Christmas top 40 billboard chart are from the 21st century. The rest are tired. Although I, th- I think like um, Mariah Carey and NSYNC like sneak in under the gun. So yeah, make, make Christmas great again is my stance, I guess. I do have a, uh, I do have a good thing though, a, um, a non-grievance, if you will, uh, which is that Madison Cawthorn's wife left him, Rip Bozo. <laughs> Nice. I mean, uh, uh, I'm totally biased here. Not to... All right. Let's um, tighten the screws and let's have a real conversation about COVID because I think we have been cathartic, but I also think we, we have some real things to say. Does that sound about right? So at the time of this podcast, something like 90-ish players and three coaches are in contact tracing right now. And it does sound as if, and this is reporting from Brian Windhorst on the Tony Kornheiser podcast of all places that I learned this information, that when we hear that players are in health and safety, that it is either a positive or inconclusive test. That in the past, it was contact tracing, but actually because most players are vaccinated for them to get pulled means that they are testing positive or inconclusive. So the state of affairs is that rough. And I was looking at data last week and Omicron was only 13% of New York City cases, which is the hotspot in the United States. And it really is now upwards of 70, 75, 80, 90%. So the rate at which COVID is spreading in the United States is literally unprecedented. Massachusetts had its highest caseload of the pandemic today, today, the Wednesday, the 22nd. So this is affecting everyone. However, the NBA is a unique workforce in that I don't take my mask off and breathe on my coworkers. And then I don't fly to another city and do it again. And so, yes, they have a testing regiment that is more intense than the, the average person. And they have a job that allows for transmission, uh, probably at a higher clip than at least white collar America. However, what is ex- being experienced in the NBA should be a warning sign for the rest of us. So we'll keep an NBA frame, I suspect, although I have more to say about Charlie Baker and Joe Biden. But I do think that it's a, a stark warning to folks who are under-vaccinated or unvaccinated that the vaccine doesn't stop COVID in it tra- its tracks. It's like putting on a rain jacket, and if it's pouring, you're still going to get wet. And then you put on a mask, you pull out an umbrella and you get tested. So you have uh, rain boots, you do what you can, but it's not a guarantee. But I would rather have the rain jacket and the umbrella than nothing at all, right? Anyways, sorry for the grandstand, Justin. No, it's not grandstanding at all. And it's stuff that, why are we saying this? We were saying this a year ago. You know, we were literally saying all of this a year ago. This is not new knowledge, right? We don't know exactly how this new variant is going to go. We do know the science behind it. We do know that it's more contagious. We also know that in the, in the spirit of this whole unique workplace thing, like most of us 
Dona also have like several hundred support people working around us yeah. uh, and on top of our families back home. And we certainly aren't doing it in front of 20,000-ish people, give or take a few thousand. Uh, so <laughs> there's all kinds of things that, again, we should know by now. Like, I, I don't mind this whole, uh, we have to learn to live with the virus thing. And I, I, I do know that, you know, lots of things are going to keep going, whether we like it to or not, because capitalism. But we yeah. can at least pretend to give a shit about other people and spend a week, a week, just one week to find better ways to get people boosted, find better ways to conduct things, decide if it's really safe by talking to, you know, experts who have knowledge about this on whether it's a smart idea to even have people in the arenas for a while until we know what the real impact of this variant is. We don't have to yeah. shut it down for four months, but we do need to do something. And to that end, Justin, I think we, we kind of both touched on this, uh, you and Cam specifically just now, uh, but the, you know, the thing that we kind of never talk about when we talk about the NBA operations and COVID is that there are hundreds of people that do not involve themselves in the actual playing of basketball or coaching of basketball that still need to be involved in NBA life from day to day, whether it's concession workers at the arena or security, whether it is uh, you know, physical fitness trainers, uh, you know, people who are working in the arena in kind of behind the scenes roles to help the teams go where they need to go, whether it's bus drivers or, uh, you know, airplane pilots, like everybody who interacts with these players. If you think about how bad the NBA COVID outbreak has been just on the players, just on the players who are like missing games and, uh, you know, have confirmed now from what we know, confirmed cases. Think about the amount of people that those players interact with in a single day of NBA basketball, whether they're playing a game or not. You come into the arena and the first thing that you do is you have to, you know, put on all of your gear and all of your jerseys. There are people who are managing that then you probably have to go to the training room and get stretched out. And if there's any like issues that, uh, you know, physically you need to work through, you probably have to get a massage or work with a personal trainer or something like that. Not to mention the fact that you've got people, you know, moving linens in and out and things like that. Like, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And suddenly you've got in a single day, one NBA player, whether they play in a game or not, is going to interact with, you know, 50 plus people. And if that player has COVID and they don't test that person until after that's already been incubated, which is the reality with this disease, you're probably not going to know until well after you start feeling symptoms in all likelihood, you're going to get into contact with a lot of people and those people are going to be affected by this. So if you want to air a big kind of grievance about uh, how the NBA is, and is handling COVID, I think you got to start with the fact that the NBA touches a lot more people than just its players and the people who get on camera. Where has Adam Silver or the owners been in terms of beefing up health insurance for arena workers or mm -hmm. in terms of um, you know, cutting down staff or, or cutting out staffing requirements or, you know, uh, doing some sort of like fund, something like that, so, some sort of way to acknowledge that this is a thing that touches a lot more lives than just the players that we see on TV. Like this is, this is something that 
they need to answer for and that the entire league needs to answer for the amount of people that are involved in the day-to-day operations of running this thing. What are you going to do for them? Because here's the thing, right now, the answer to that has largely been nothing. And that's pretty unacceptable. So a couple of things that that raises, first and foremost, the science hasn't changed that something like 40% of cases are asymptomatic. And so even if you are a under vaccinated person or an unvaccinated person, you can get someone very sick without knowing it. And if you test in the morning, that doesn't mean that 12 hours from then you're going to begin shedding the virus or having symptoms. I mean, in some people that it's five to seven days after an initial exposure that you incubate and start spreading the disease. And so there are logistical challenges to trying to run the league as such. I mean, it's just that's how virulent a disease it is. Some people are saying that Omicron is the second most virulent disease on earth right now. And it's frustrating because of all of the things that we just outlined, there's no way the NBA can pause. First of all, they won't pause for obvious reasons that I want to get to in a second, but they can't. Because say the NBA pauses until New Year's. Hey, everyone, take a beat, go home with your families. Here's a hundred rapid tests and whatever. Some scientists are saying there's going to be a million positive cases a day in the United States. The NBA does not have the the stones to restart the league, let alone pause it in the first place, right? So maybe Omicron blows through town in six weeks and by February numbers are staggeringly low because everyone and their mother actually caught it, which would be, you know, horrible. But there's just no reality where the NBA could pause and restart. I don't know what the hell the NHL is going to do. Under what circumstances are they going to tell the Bruins to go back to skating in front of fans after seven Not days? In front of, of fans, I think we're looking at empty arenas or at least only vaccinated, only boosted, and probably lower capacity arenas. I don't think it's, unavo- I think it's unavoidable at this point. Right. I think and we're just kidding ourselves if we think we're going to, like, whether we, whether we start or stop, I think that absolutely has to, so, and I think that's where Adam Silver and by extension, the owners and players own a lot of this is there are creative things between shutting down and continuing relatively unabated. I mean, some of their policies are kicking in the 26th on the 26th. They're telling them themselves right away that they just need to put Christmas out there for whatever reason. So the Bruins, for example, Delaware North owns the Bruins and the arena, so they can make that decision relatively quickly. Uh, the NBA, it's going to be really hard to pause, not just because they don't necessarily own the arenas, but like Disney on ice and I'm going to the Bad Bunny concert in March and all of these things. So rescheduling these games is going to be really hard and they're not going back to the bubble. That's just not going to happen. And then that leads to, sorry to take the, the microphone for too long, but that leads to another point, which is the NBA doesn't have to do this. The, the whole story of last summer was corporations can be nakedly, nakedly, Uh, really thin when it comes to actually advocating for people and change. Short of like the dude who runs REI, these people don't care about you. And so uh, I don't think that um, Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Quicken Loans Rocket Mortgage, actually cares about the average uh, person in the United States. And the NBA has this thin veneer of we are left-leaning, we are social justice warriors, we empower our players. And yes, they do tremendously impactful philanthropy that is not nothing that is important that changes people's lives so let's not pretend like that's not a thing 
However, why the hell does the NBA have to blink? If the NFL is not going to do it, they're not going to do it. If the president's not going to do it, they're not going to do it. If literally every corporation in the United States isn't going to do it, the NBA isn't going to do it. They don't make anything out of that. And until their labor says something, they have no real reason to make a change. I understand that the NBA players don't want to lose a paycheck. And a lot of the start stop that happened was uh, last summer was, oh, we're going to lose a paycheck. Never mind. The, the strike is over. The- I don't want to lose a paycheck either. And I'm moving into a new apartment and, you know, like I, I have savings, but I mean, if my, my, like, I can't tell you how much my earnings are affected by this because of policy, but it will affect how much money I make if they shut down. Oh, totally. I could lose my job. I wouldn't be surprised if they start laying off more people if it happens again. There's only so many times large companies will be willing to pump money into maintaining something on an ongoing basis, at least, uh, with that kind of stuff going on. And yeah, like, I understand they're losing money too, but for people who are in our income bracket, it's going to be a little bit more significant. And completely frankly, I am okay with that because I don't want people to be getting terminal diagnoses for their mothers and their uncles and their cousins and their brothers, et cetera. Because let me tell you, that shit fucks you up. I mean, we have hospital systems taking out full page ads asking for help. We have the National Guard being, that's one of the president's plans is mobilize the National Guard. Biden's doing some stuff. I mean, thank you, Biden, for the test. It's great that every American is going to get one and a half tests in January. Really helpful. However, man, we are really, really lost sight of things. And far be it for me to defend health systems in the United States. But Justin, yeah, to your point, things are going to get really bad really quick. If you look at ICU capacity in in Massachusetts, let alone the United States, it's, again, they're calling in the fucking army to run the place. It's unsustainable and it's going to get worse. But again, why the fuck would the NBA lead on this? There's, There's very little value here added to the NBA, again, because their major constituents, the media partners and the players, seem to have no appetite for pausing. Pausing. Stephen A. Smith can have COVID. Giannis can have COVID. So long as it says ESPN and it says NBA, they seem to think that the product is Teflon. And they're probably right. Well, I wish I had something to say, but uh, I have not seen any evidence of the contrary. It'd be really good to, to have some reporting uh, on the actual broadcast numbers of some of these, uh, shall we say, Thesian rosters uh, of forty like, percent mm-hmm. <laughs> of the actual team is playing, and you know a lot of them are like deep rotation players at that. Uh, I don't really know. We're going to some pretty uncharted territory for something we've already literally been through, and it's it's we already weird. charted this shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that. I don't know that anyone has ever done Festivus justice as well as we just did. Uh, I desperately implore people, anyone listening who is unvaccinated to desperately reconsider. Uh, I understand fear. I understand creep of an authoritarian state. I understand that you have your reasons, but the numbers have never been less in your favor. And for folks who are waiting to get boosted, as best you can now is the time. I mean, I don't know how much more Alex, you and Justin have skin in this game, but the number one contributor to not being vaccinated is not having a PCP or being uninsured. So this is, yeah. yes, we all have a crazy uncle or, or uh, 
you know, college roommate who is talking about Joe Rogan or some stupid lunacy. But mostly it's people that don't have the time or the money or the access to the right information or uh, yeah. the, to take the day off from work. So the loudest, squeakiest wheels are the bozos like Ben Shapiro and those people who are making money hand over fist, fist scaring people out of getting vaccinated. But there's a lot of people who can't get vaccinated. All, all um, of those squeaky wheels, by the way, are themselves vaccinated, just to be clear. Like Tucker Carlson, John Hannity, Donald Trump, vaccinated and boosted. I mean, for what Jesus, Donald Trump said he was boosted and he got booed. Where are we? Like, what is happening with the simulation? It couldn't have glitched more than Donald Trump getting booed. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, the Celtics play the Cavs tonight. I hope Taco Fall blocks Ennis Cantor 10 times. It's $10,000 to charity. Lovely. Jalen Brown, I just saw a clip. Jalen Brown has got some pretty nice handles out here tonight, which is, I'm, I'm about to go watch. And uh, Romeo got the start, so listeners will know how that went, but we are at the time of this recording, 7.51 p.m. East Coast time. We, we don't know how that's going. So, happy holidays, folks. Either we will see you next week or we will see you next year. Like and subscribe if you love this political podcast. Um, um, Listen to something better than Christmas music. There's so many things, please. Or both yeah. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, no two people I'd rather podcast with. Happy Festivus for the rest of us. Bye, everyone. See you, folks.